Hear, my child, your father's instruction, and do not reject your mother's teaching, for they are fair garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My child, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us wantonly ambush the innocent. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive, and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of costly things. We shall fill our houses with booty. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My child, do not walk in their way. Keep your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they hurry to shed blood. For in vain is the net baited while the bird is looking on. Yet they lie in wait to kill themselves and set an ambush for their own lives. Such is the end of all who are greedy for gain. It takes away the life of the possessors. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as you take a look at your SQ, you will never be smarter than the people you have around you speaking into your life. Even if you think they're nuts and dumb, they have an influence on you. Sometimes children, you know, have the best advice. Someone sent me one of these things where they ask these children uh, the best of advice from children. One of them, uh, Patrick, age nine, said, never trust a dog to watch your food. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Uh, Michael said, never tell your mom her, that her diet's not working. That's a smart boy. Um, uh, Kyoo, age seven, said, never hold a dust buster and a cat at the same time. Uh, this is funny. Uh, Eileen, likewise, said, speaking of cats, never try to baptize a cat. Well, yeah, we might try that. Here's two smart kids. Uh, Alicia said, I never thought of this. When you get a bad grade in school, she's 11, show it to your mom when she's on the phone. <laughs> is that smart or what? Um, and a girl I know that's going to be a CEO, Naomi, says, if you want a kitten, start by asking for a horse. That girl's going to go far. Well, it's amazing to me how we let people speak into our lives. And do we listen to them? Well, if you don't, our drama team has advice for you. They say that we give advice by the buckets, but we take it by the grain. Who do you let speak into your life? Do you have a degree in Google or YouTube? Is that where you get most of your advice how about just the people you run into? If you want to make a disaster of your life, yes, Mark, tell me, how can I make a disaster of my life? Two ways. Either don't take advice from anybody. You just figure it out on your own. You just rely on your own smarts. Or second of all, you start letting just the people in the river of life that come into your life just start speaking into your life. We need to almost be obsessive, and we're so nonchalant about this idea about who we go to for wise counsel. Now, if you're going to have a wise counselor, the Bible really makes it clear that they're going to have three things about them. First of all, wise counsel, know who we are. If you don't let them know your dreams and your fears and who you're about, that means you've got to trust them. How can they give you good counsel? Second of all, they don't only have to know you, they have to know who they are. So many times, people on the surface think they're helping you out, and all they're doing is working out their own issues through your life. They're not aware of it. And above all, they've got to know who Christ is. 
Now, people who don't know the Lord can give you splinter advice, like on medicine or investment or other things. But if they don't know the very purpose of life, and they don't have the risen Christ in you, how in the world can the Lord use them to speak into your life? And of Bel Air, with the mission that we've got in front of us, and as we're cranking it up and rocking in a matter of weeks as we're starting downtown and little Tokyo and stepping across these lines denominationally and economically and racially, that it's so important. God's got a lot of high SQ people out there, high intelligence spiritually. We just need to be open and find out who they are so they can speak to our life. I'd like to take a look at a case study on somebody who was really stupid. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me over to 1 Kings 12? It's on page 277 in your pew Bible. Now, Rehoboam himself was not stupid. Ignorance comes from not knowing. Gnosis, the Greek word for knowledge. Ignosis means not to know. That's not wrong. Stupidity, which really comes from an Anglo-Saxon word meaning to resist input, means people are trying to talk to you and you won't listen. The kingdom has uh, been only three generations, Saul, David, and Solomon. Solomon didn't really get the right successor. The 12 tribes never liked themselves a lot. We have kind of this illusion. They were always competing and fighting with each other, and they're going to decide who's going to be the next leader. Verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. When Jeroboam, this is the competitor, son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, Jeroboam returned from Egypt. And they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke he put on us, we will serve you. He said to them, go away for three days and come again to me. So the people went away. Pause. Solomon, because he taxed them out of their sandals and worked them for all this building, they said, are you going to back off on your father's dumb policies? And we'll follow you. Now, these are the 12 tribes that are sitting there. Verse 6. And King Rehoboam took counsel with the older men who had attended his father Solomon while he was still alive, saying... How do you advise me to answer this people? They answered him, If you'll be a servant to this people today and serve them, and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they'll be your servants forever. Pause. The old boys know. Leadership is a voluntary offering. If they don't give it to you, you ain't got it. If you're leading and no one's following, that's just called a long, lonely walk. So they said to Rehoboam, Treat them well, and they'll go to their deaths for you. Verse 8. But he disregarded the advice of the old men given him, and consulted with the young men who had grown up with him and now attended him. He said to them, What do you advise that we should answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke of your father? The young men who had grown up with him said to him, You should say to the people who spoke to you, Your father made our yoke heavy and lightened it. You should say this to them. My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Now, whereas my father laid a heavy yoke, I will make it heavier. My father disciplined you with whips. I'll discipline you with scorpions. All right, pause. Why would they say that? Because the young guys are going, no, no, no. You got to come in tough. You got to show them you're the man if you're going to be a leader. You say you think Shlomo is tough? You ain't seen nothing yet. They're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Verse 12. 
So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king had said, Come to me again on the third day. By the way, you notice this third day theme all the time in the Old Testament pointing towards Christ's resurrection. The king answered the people harshly. He disregarded the advice that the older man had given him and spoke according to the advice of the young dudes, of the young men. My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips. I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people because it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord has broken by Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, son of Nebat. Now when all Israel saw that the king would not listen to them, the people said, What share do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Look to your own house, O David. So Israel went away from their tents. Rehoboam reigned over the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah. But when King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was taskmaster over the forced labor, all Israel stoned him to death. And King Rehoboam hurriedly mounted his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. That's a great case study of bad advice taken. You know, why do we go to the people that we know? Because we think that they understand us. But the question is, do they really know us? A great French philosopher uh, said that where we, what we really want is not advice, but we crave approval. What he meant by that is most of the time when we say, tell me, what should I do? Really what's going on in the back of our mind? Tell me what I can do to be approved of by you. That's why it's so important the people you have speaking into your life know who you are. If they don't know your dreams and your hopes and your fears, and how, how in the world can they give you counsel in that way? Proverbs says what you saw up there in eleven fourteen, where there's no guidance, a people falls. But there's safety and an abundance of counselors. Why an abundance? Because kind of like the secret, the solution to pollution is dilution. Have you heard of that? If you've got a little bit of water, the toxicness in it is deadly. If you have a lot of water, the toxicness just makes you sick. If you only have a few people that you go to for everything and they don't know you, then you need outside people. You know things about you that nobody else knows. You keep it hidden. But they know things about me that I'm not aware of at times. Because I can't see them from my outside eyes all the time. I don't have those outside eyes. And a lot of times I think I'm totally in touch with myself and I'm not in touch with myself at all. But outside counselors can say, well, Mark, I don't know if you really, that's what you're really trying to get out of this. You have to risk being transparent. Now that's not true of all advice. You don't have to be buddy with your doctor to get good advice or your financial planner or your mechanic But when you're talking about your life and saying, should I marry this person? Should I not? What do I do about my marriage or my kids? What do I do about my Bible study? What do I do about my roommates? What about this career? What church I should belong to? They need to know who you are. And there's actually a limited number that can really get to know you because you don't show yourself to everybody. That's called common knowledge, but it's amazing. Though aren't there people that are just totally inappropriate what they disclose with you? They sit down, they start sharing their life, and you just say, excuse me, uh, you've confused me with somebody who cares. No, you don't say that at all, but they, they just start sharing. But for you, most of the time, there's a small amount. Cognitive psychology calls it channel capacity. 
Supposedly, unless you have perfect pitch, when the band's up here playing, if they played a low C and then an F and a G and an A and higher up, you can discern about five notes that are different. If you go to 10, unless you've got perfect pitch, you get confused. Same is true if I had up here 10 glasses of tea, each one a little sweeter than the other. If I had about five of them, you could say this was sweet, sweeter, sweetest. If you have 10, you get confused. And they're beginning to think that's probably true in social relationships. That relational channel capacity. If you wrote a list of who would you be devastated if they died... Now, you'd always be sad if somebody died. I'm not saying that. But if your life came to an abrupt end, most social psychologists would say it's anywhere from six to seven. That those are the the relationships that you have, that you know, and that you share life, and you look at it through their eyes. That's why it's so important that those people know who you are, and they also know who they are. That they're not just working out their own issues. Now, there's a covenant group that's wise counsel that you don't have to be friends with. Yesterday, it was a great time. Uh, the men's ministry helped sponsor porn and pancakes we had here. And we had a lot of guys uh, show up. at Triple X Church that goes to these uh, porn places, helps people with addiction. But they go to the porn conferences, you know, the shows. And they set up their booth. And they have a Bible that on it says, Jesus loves porn stars. And it's got this cheesy 1970s porn star on the cover. And they, and people come by and they pick it up and they go like, is this a parody on the Bible? And they go, no, it's the Bible. They give out 4,000 within the first two days. They always give them out. Because nobody's ever really loved them. Just say, just go read that. They don't talk to them about their career and stuff. They just say, go read that. Well, he's pointing out this addiction to pornography, which is as great as any booze or narcotic. Because guys that are so visually, once you get that down in the lower brain center and it trips it, it is so hard to get off. You need to have somebody who knows you enough that can say, you're lying to me. And not be weirded out and not punish you. Ooh. But just say, God, Mark, knock it off. Jane, knock it off. I know you. No, you're getting pulled in that way. Let's help you get out of this. That's why I celebrate recovery. You know, this sober karaoke night coming up. That's hilarious. Uh, but as we're gathering together, but why do you have people that so that you can talk to that aren't judging you that say, bud, I struggle with it too. Let's help you out with that. Wise counselors know who you are and they know their own stuff. No neutral people 100%, of course. We all live in our perceptions of reality. Only God dwells in ultimate truth. But some people are more in touch with themselves than others. It's stunning to me to listen to the advice that others will give. And people will take it. And in this age of blogging and Oprah and Jerry Springer and impresarios, impression managers that just manage what reality is for you, it's scary what people take as counsel and advice. Someone uh, just told me, uh, they sent me a little thing, that if you would have invested $1,000 in Lehman stock five years ago, right now it would only be worth $6. If you would have invested 1000 in Washington Mutual five years ago, right now it would be worth $12. But if you would have invested $1,000 in buying Budweiser beer, not the stock, but actual beer, that if you turned the bottles in right now, they'd be worth $108. So, his investment strategy is drink beer and recycle. There you go. Well, you can't believe that kind of... I mean, of course, that's a joke, I hope. But uh, 
that people out there take. I remember as a young pastor, I used to go to all these uh, great men of the cloth, you know, that I would hang around. I so looked up to them, you know, and and one of them told me one time, we were getting ready to sell, you know, I was starting to hook churches together in this really big church. We carefully set it up, kind of like we did with Faithful Central. And the week before, I had this pastor come and say, whatever you do, you think that pastor loves God? He's a sham. You've got to back out of this thing. And I went, really? And I, he looks like he loves Jesus. He goes, nah, don't trust him. So I called it off. I found out, you know what it was? Those two had had a big fight over who could give the prayer at the mayor's prayer breakfast the year before. And he was just working out his grudge on my stupid head. Do they know you and do they know themselves? Because I bet you he would have passed a lie detector at that moment. He was just being sincere. Do they know what's going on in their own life? Another one of my pastors who taught me to memorize the scriptures, which I love and always think. But he told me one time, he said, now, Mark, I know they taught you in seminary. He really had a big church. He said, uh, to uh, prepare your sermons. But, you know, that really stops the Holy Spirit. So you need to just get up there and say, Lord, speak through me. And I went, really? And they go, yeah. so I did. And I got up front. I've been praying and I kind of looked at everybody. And I remembered what the story, true story, Martin Luther one time, he said he wanted to just let the Spirit speak through him. And he got up front of his church and he said, the Spirit is saying this morning, Martin Luther, you're not prepared. <laughs> Where do you go to get this counsel and this wise advice from others? And sometimes it'll be people that are successful, sometimes not at all. President Roosevelt had a gentleman by the name of Harry Hopkins. You may not have heard of him. He wasn't appointed to any cabinet place. He wasn't big in either the Democratic or the Republican Party. He wasn't really wealthy, not a tycoon from Wall Street. But Roosevelt had him as his confidant. In fact, he would be in the room very often. In fact, one time one of his cabinet members said, you know this Harry Hopkins, he's kind of this shadowy figure. He's bringing you a lot of political grief. You've got to lose the guy. Roosevelt said, someday you might be president, and when you're sitting in this chair, you know that everybody that walks into that door wants something from you. Every single person that walks in. The only thing that Harry Hopkins wants, because he'd known him since college, is to serve me. And I hope that someday you have one in your life. Do you have a friend that would actually, they don't want anything out of you, but God's blessing in your life? It doesn't just happen. You don't just find these people. You create these relationships together through prayer. Why we try to get you into small groups. Why I try to pressure, manipulate, and push you into this. is because we don't need to have a lot of small groups. So we need to have disciples and you can't be a disciple unless you've got somebody who knows you and cares about you. Or getting involved in one of the involvement fair things out here that we sign up for. That's where God releases this power into our life. Well, not only do they know who we are, not only do they know who they are, but they certainly know who Christ is. One more passage. Turn with me over to Matthew and to the sixth chapter on page 787 in your pew Bible. Jesus says this in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, this strange comment, and it's in the context of living our life with others. But in the sixth chapter, in verse 22, Jesus all of a sudden says this. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be in light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If the light in you turns out to be darkness, how great is that darkness? What in the world is Rabbi talking about? The eye is the lamp of the body. In other words, how you see things. And how you see things has to do with how people are in the front room with you. How could light be darkness? It happens all the time. God has given you this body to adjust to the environment. In this reticular activating system back here, when you get into a hot tub and at first you're going, I'm not a lobster. And then within 15 minutes, it's like cool. The water hasn't gotten cooler, but your brain is telling the rest of your body, mellow out. We know it's hot. All right. All right. When you go into a dark movie theater and you realize that you've sat down on somebody else. Or when you go into a restaurant and they turn down the lights so you can't see how much the food costs. By the end of the meal, you've so adjusted, you could be reading a copy of Ivanhoe, you know, sitting in there. And you walk outside and, wow! Satan doesn't come into our life and turn the lights off. He puts in the old rheostat and turns it down oh so slow. And if people that are counseling you, they may be well-meaning. They might really care about you. But if they don't know Christ, I mean in the big things in life, they're great mechanics, great doctors, great attorneys, whatever, but I mean the advice about life, then how are they going to do anything but doom you? Because the light in them is really darkness. They love you and they want to help you get to the top of the ladder. The trouble is they've got the ladder against the wrong wall. And as you get ahead in life their way, when they say, you know, sleep with who you want, live for yourself, Get high. It doesn't matter. Come on. Get enough money. Get back at those so-and-sos. Don't get angry. Get even. They believe that stuff. And as they drip that into your head and into your heart, that without knowing it can so pull you away, and the Holy Spirit, which we'll see next week, is always calling and saying, no, come back. But when you have wise people who, when, who can help show you the light, and this is even true of people not only sitting in the room with you with a cup of coffee, the people that have died centuries ago. Aristotle or Plato was attributed to saying, friendship is one soul that fills two lives. In other words, this sense of somebody who really knows you and understands you. It was somebody said, a friend is someone who says to you, oh, you too, I thought I was the only one. In other words, they relate with you. Do you know how to really tell a friend? Who's somebody that you would ask to drop you off at LAX? That's a friend. Or somebody who, if you called them at 3 o'clock in the morning, all they would say as they were getting dressed is, where are you? Where do you get those friends? You become one. And you become one by learning not just from people alive today, but in the past. I can't... I'm excited about when we get, uh, we've got lots of great stuff coming up. And getting back to the series after Christmas, we're going to be taking a look at church history. And we take on a century a week. Because some brilliant women and men have faced the exact things you and I have. And God came up with some great answers. And it's laying there dead. And it's right there for us to discover. The good thing about a friend from the past is you only get out of them what you bring to it. If you ask me my opinion, I'll give it to you. In fact, I'll give you my opinion even if you don't ask for it. But somebody who is gone, you've got to take it and you've got to wrestle with it and chin yourself up to it and say, well, how did they answer this? And it's really this engagement process. And godly men and women who the Lord used in centuries past have so much to say. I'm learning so much about, you know, the satellite churches 
is really the explosion right now in Protestant land in America, like we're getting ready to do. It's nothing new. What's helping drive it is the cost of gas, and it's such an inexpensive way of doing this. You know who had this thing figured out? The medieval church. In the Middle Ages, the cathedral system, you didn't go to the cathedral every week. That was for the big holy days. But that was a resource to the smaller parishes around. And as we start to resource, not just sending out people, but resources in lots of ways, we can learn from the Middle Ages in this. And there's so much we can, as we reach out to others and to share, somebody who really knows and cares about us. One of my favorite stories of someone who had a council around them was Luther. Calvin was brilliant. Calvin was the mind who really systematized the Reformation, going to be a priest, and he studied to be an attorney, and, and he became a great scholar. And Calvin's personality, you can tell, was about as rowdy as a attorney scholar. You know, it's not real crazy. But Luther was kind of the salty old boy. You know, a priest in the Reformation, and his life's kind of more fun to read about. Someone asked him why he wasn't all wound up about making this new movement of God going back to the Scriptures. How come he could just rest in the Lord? And he had a great line. He said, the gospel runs its course as I drink my Wittenberg beer. And what he meant was, nothing is going to stop the risen Christ from this. I can sit here and have this beer and the gospel is going to... This is unstoppable because it's not of me. This is of God. But who spoke into his life was a network. And if you look at history, it's always been networks. Groups of people who gave counsel to each other. A gentleman by the name of Philip Melanchthon. You may have heard of him. He was called the scholar of Germany. Philip Melanchthon was this quiet university prof at Heidelberg along with Luther. And when Luther had a... He had a death sentence on him to be burned as a heretic at the stake. And he was hiding with the German princes. Who would he go to for advice? Philip Melanchthon. Who interpreted and translated the Bible into German for the people? It's Philip Melanchthon that Luther used. Who came up with questions of this church, of ecclesiology and of polity, and even bigger theology things of solo salvation and ordo salutis, the order of salvation? It's Philip Melanchthon. Luther was the fiery presence out front, but Melanchthon was the one behind the scenes that he always went to. In fact, when Martin Luther died in 1546, Philip Melanchthon gave the funeral for him. And they were so close that just a few years later when Philip Melanchthon died from a plague, they buried him next to Luther in the same grave. And you can see that today. Who do you think, when Luther, the fireball, or this quiet little Melanchthon stood before Christ, who do you think Christ said to, well, done, good and faithful servant. Both of them, of course. Are you a counsel into other people's lives? When they talk to you, do you know what's going on in your own issues before you start flashing out advice to them? Do you really know how to listen relationally what's going on with them? And do you have an ear to the Holy Spirit because He wants to speak through you. He's very alive. And He wants to give advice and insights. But for those who know, You know, it's so funny. When I was younger, I loved being around really smart and brilliant people. Now I love being around godly people. 
not self-righteous, yeah. I mean those that have love and joy and peace and patience. And you look at their life and they're bearing the fruit. You go, that's the stuff I want. Do you see people out there that have that kind of fruit? Then try to befriend them. It does not just happen. It takes time and it takes a little bit of work. But it is the smartest way you'll ever spend your time. Do you know very much how God wants to use each of us in our life? You know, as they said, you can make more friends in two months by being interested in them than two years in trying to get people to be interested in you. If you say, how can I bless you? Jesus said, greater love has no man than this. Then he lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends. If you do what I command you, and this I command you, that you love each other in the way that I have loved you. Smart advice. Let's pray, shall we? Almighty God, I thank you that you have not left us alone in this life. The Lord, you have given women and men to come alongside of us and to speak into our lives. Lord, I pray that you would give us godly men and women Lord, that will come and to share, that we could bounce things off of, never be judged, never being afraid of having to hide. And yet, Lord, wisely to know who those are and those who that we can't trust, God. I pray, Lord, that we would become such a kind of wise counsel to someone else's life. That, Lord, we could speak your hope and your peace and what it is to know the Savior. So thank you, Lord, in the middle of a world going crazy, that, Lord, it's not out of control. It's going just as you had planned. And that, God, you were sifting the nation's And you are separating the wheat from the chaff. And you are taking care of your people to the very end. Maranatha, Lord, send him back soon. For his sake we pray. Amen.